0: So for four weeks, we've been talking about religion, and last week, we put up these eight commandments, these eight commandments, there they are. So uh, what we said was not all religions are the same, but there are some things in all world religions that you can find that are similar. And and these are the eight commandments that exist in every type of world religion. And it's kind of funny because last week I, we went through these and I said, how many of you have ever harmed others with word or deed? You raise your hands. And how many of you have honored your parents? You raise your hands. And Rachel told me later that afternoon, she said, I was just raising my hands. And then I looked down and I went, ooh, at, at this one right here. And she said, I don't know if dad's thought this one through. Yes, I had thought that through, but but here's here's the deal. The reason we put this up here and we went through it was to show you that everybody makes mistakes, everybody sins, everybody's guilty. There's a list, and and we said that we do these things every day. We we fail these things every day, and so the list is actually not the problem. We actually like the list because there's nothing wrong with with not harming others with words or deed. There's nothing wrong with honoring your parents, being kind to sib- siblings and the elderly. Elderly. There's nothing wrong with the list. The Problem is we don't do the list and that leads us to another problem. What do you do with your failures? If we've all failed, if we're all guilty of not doing the list, what do you do with it? And this is where we come to a fork in the road with Christianity. Christianity offers a different solution to your problems than every other world religion. In other world religions, you either try harder or you do something, you know, you harm yourself or you, you feel like you have to pay. Um, you, you either genuflect or, or you say 15 Hail Marys. I don't know. There's something else. But in Christianity, it's the only religion that God says, well, I agree you failed. I agreed someone has to pay for your failure. But I'm going to give you not what you deserve, but what you need. And that's forgiveness and grace. And in order to get that gift, this free gift... Of forgiveness and grace from God. You have to exchange your life. There's an exchange takes place. So instead of having all of my sin. I give that to Jesus. He gives me his righteousness. I get into heaven based on his righteousness. So if he's going to be the forgiver. And leader of your life. You're going to have to give him your life. And and here's the the amazing thing we talked about last week. We said what the law was powerless to do. All the law can do is show you. That you are a lawbreaker. What the law was powerless to do. God did. So. Um. The law doesn't give you a way to deal with your failure. Christianity does offers a way to get back to God that has nothing to do with what you do or don't do. Religion is all about what you do. Christianity is about what Christ has already done. And and right here is where a lot of people struggle with the message of Jesus. Here's why it seems really unfair and it makes me feel uncomfortable so if something seems unfair, it seems unfair that that um, you have to go through Jesus to get to God. Because what about people who have not ever heard about Jesus? What about people who um, who, who live before Jesus? What do you do with them? That doesn't seem fair and it bothers me. And so some of us are very uncomfortable with the idea that someone else would have to pay for our sins. And so here's what a lot of people believe. A lot of people believe if something is unfair and it makes me feel uncomfortable, therefore, this is what people believe, not me, other people, it must be unfair untrue. I'm going to argue just the opposite today. I'm going to argue that, that things that are unfair, that are uncomfortable does not equal untrue. All right. So that's where we're headed today. If you think about it, this, this idea of unfair plus uncomfortable equals untrue. It's not even logical. Let me give you an example. Let's say a man wakes up one morning. He looks at his wife and he says, it's unfair that I'm married to this woman because she is not who she pretended to be. And that makes me uncomfortable because she's a different person than I married. Nobody nod your heads. Nobody nod your heads. I'm not going to tell you who's nodding their heads. Just stop it. She's not the woman I thought I was marrying. This makes me feel uncomfortable because here's, here's the logic. If you believe, then I must not be married if it's unfair and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Now, granted, a lot of people live like that, but that's not true or she says, ladies, don't nod your heads. She says, he treats me so unfairly. Everyone in my family, all my friends see that he treats me unfairly. It makes us all uncomfortable. Therefore I must not be married. No, that's not logical in school. You have an unfair teacher who creates an uncomfortable atmosphere. And so the logic would be then she's not my teacher and I may not even be in school. Wouldn't that be great that that's now that's not logical, but logic is not something that people use. I came across this video, um, where a guy went to the university of Washington. So this is actually on university of Washington campus. And I, I, I in, I'm coming in, in the middle of it. But what I want you to hear is what he, the first question you're going to hear a little garbled because it, it was hard to edit it. Uh, because the next question came so fast, but focus in on, he says, what if I told you I was a woman, watch this video.
1: Resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: Nice to meet you. I'd be like, what? <laughs> really?
1: I don't have a problem with it.
0: I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion.
1: If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese
0: ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion.
1: Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately.
0: Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean... I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you, know you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old.
1: If you feel seven at heart, then <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to?
0: Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now.
1: If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that.
0: I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that sh- should be an okay thing.
1: If I told you I'm six feet five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six if you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as, like, another human to say someone is wrong or to draw up lines or boundaries.
0: No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything.
1: So I can be a Chinese woman. You, <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why
0: you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman.
1: It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a 6'5 Chinese woman. But clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult?
0: So I'm 5'9, so I couldn't go to the University of Washington and be a six-foot Chinese woman, but Brad could. Brad could, because he's, he's that tall. So if you want to go and be a Chinese woman, you you can, Brad. We should go together and, and ask, okay. The point is, what's going on in our world? So you tell me I'm wrong? No, I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. My goodness. So, so this is, this is the mindset that we're, we're, supposed to combat in our society. It's getting worse. And if you go to college and you answer like this, I will kick you in the rear, literally. All right. I will come find you. Don't you ever let me find that on YouTube. When you go off, I'll find you and and we'll hurt you in the name of Jesus or something. I don't know. The, uh, So this idea of something that is unfair makes us uncomfortable; uh, therefore, it's untrue. Isn't logical? First time we went to Haiti, I've got some pictures I want to show you. Um, This this is the earthquake in in Haiti. It happened January twelfth, two thousand ten. All right, so they just celebrated the or celebrated they just commemorated the six year anniversary this past January. And and this is this is what it looked like um, right afterwards. The uh the authorities estimate three hundred and sixteen thousand people died in in this uh earthquake. Hey, um, Port-au-Prince, where we fly into, is built, the infrastructure is built for about a million people. At the time of the earthquake, three million people lived there. Um, next picture, I don't even remember what it was. So when when we got there uh, there were no bulldozers around. There was no heavy equipment around. Um, as we're driving, as soon as we get on the bus, when we got off the the airplane, nobody spoke. It was, it was one of the most devastating things that I've ever seen in my life. And there was rubble everywhere. And, and, you know, there wasn't equipment to do it. They were having to hand, um, pick through everything to try to find, um, bodies, uh, they weren't at survivors because we were ten months after the earthquake when we got there. There weren't survivors; they were they were bodies. This was recovery missions. Um, next picture. So so when we got there, there were actually many roads still looked like this ten months later, and we would drive. You couldn't drive fast, obviously. We would drive, and we'd have to move around and and there would be rubble and and we ask about you know what's are their bodies still in there I said yes we would even see some buildings had fallen down on top of cars and they said more than likely some of those cars still have bodies in them but we don't have the resources to to take them out next one so when we got there millions of people were living in tents now if you look at this that doesn't really look like a tent does it it's tarps and there's not nearly, six years later, there's, there's not nearly as many people living in tents, but, but they're still not in, in adequate housing many times. Um, a lot of folks to this day do not sleep inside concrete buildings at night because they're afraid. Pastor Sampson, who's come here, he and his, his family for almost a year slept in a tent in the backyard because they were so afraid to go inside of, of a concrete block building. And as I was looking at these pictures, I didn't bring this one, but as I was looking at these pictures, I saw, I got teary eyed as I was, as I was looking through this, I saw mass graves. And in one instance, I saw an aid worker on the back of a truck with a little body. It was, it was a dead body. He was throwing it on the stacks of bodies. You want, you want to talk about feeling uncomfortable? It's unfair that all of these people died. It's very uncomfortable to see all the dead bodies in the devastation devastation. Does that mean it's not true? Does that mean these people don't exist just because you think it's unfair and, and you feel uncomfortable about it? doesn't even make sense to use that type of logic. There is a country, and I've read about this country, where they control the birth rate. Very, well, usually it's one child. Boys are valued over girls. Healthy are valued over the unhealthy. And so many times when, when a child is born, if there's even the slightest hint of, of an informity, or, or, or not informity, of a abnormality, thank you, deform. If there's just the slightest hint, many times they will abandon these children, these babies on doorsteps, or they will let them die. And, and if I were to show you pictures, this is a nation full of orphanages. If I were to show you pictures of the orphanages, the first few floors are where the babies live. The top floors are where those who are deformed live. And if I were to show you these images, you would be very, very uncomfortable and you'd say it's not fair. Does that mean it's not true? There are far more things in your life that are unfair, that make you uncomfortable, but are absolutely true than there are things that are fair, comfortable, and true. Are you tracking with me? You understand where we're going with this? So it's, so the, the idea that something that's unfair makes me feel uncomfortable is untrue, that's not even a logical argument. Here's what it is. It's an emotional distraction that keeps you from doing what you need to do with your sin. People all the time argue, well if God is a good God, if He's all powerful, He's all knowing, couldn't He come up with a system to deal with our guilt that is fair, that makes us all feel comfortable? It's simple for all. See, they say the claims of Christ, they're just too narrow. I can't follow the claims of Christ because they make me feel uncomfortable. How can that point me to a good God? And so here's the deal. Here's where I'm going with all this. The reason someone would say, and the reason many of us have said, God is, how can I, how can God be good if there's evil in the world is because we do not understand the effects of sin in our world. We radically, I can't even, I can't even think of enough, uh, adjectives to, to, express how much we underestimate the effects of sin in our world. The reason we say, God, you need to reach out. We just don't understand sin. And here's why, here's why we don't understand sin. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everyone you've ever seen is a sinner. It's like, Oh, McDonald had a farm, but on that farm, there were only sinners. Thanks, Travis. If I wait long enough, Travis will laugh. Or groan. He groans sometimes. Here is sin. There is sin. Everywhere is sin. Sinner. What this means is all we know is sin and to us sin is normal. We have police officers because sin is normal. We have a military for our country because sin is normal. We have locks on our doors and alarm systems and, and cameras because sin is normal. So we think sin is no big deal. Why can't God just put a little bandaid on my little sin splinter and fix it? We dumb down sin. And, and just to make the point, what word have we substituted for sin in our culture? Somebody tell me, what word have we substituted? Mistake. Mm. I didn't sin, I made a mistake. Um, I didn't lie, it was a mistake. I, I miscommunicated or I misremembered. That is so popular in our political circles. I've heard so many people say, I misremembered. It's a big fat lie. Idiots. I didn't steal, I borrowed or procured. My dad was a CB in, in World War II. And their motto was, we don't steal anything, we procure whatever we need. It's stealing. Um, physical abuse, no, 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 it was just a heated argument. Sexual assault, no, 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 it was, it was mutual consent. Adultery, no, it was a fair. Homosexuality, no, 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 it's an, that's an alternative lifestyle. See, don't call it sin. Call it a mistake because then I feel better about myself. But here's the problem. A mistake is when you misadd your bank statement and come up a few cents short. A mistake is when you are trying your hardest to get it right, but you fail. See, gossiping is not a mistake. Stealing is not a mistake. Breaking and entering is not a mistake. Adultery is not a mistake. Who would do those type things? Well, sinners would. And and is anybody in here not a sinner? See, when when I sin and when you sin, it's our selfishness that's out of control. So don't ever look at someone else's sin and say, "Oh, I could never do that." Because what's in them is in you. It's in me. Their their selfishness is just a little more evident than than yours is. Their greed is a little bit more evident than yours is. Their insecurity is just a little bit more apparent than yours is. Don't ever forget that sin is, is a downward spiral that leads to more sin and and more um, and worse sins as we would categorize them. We do not understand the effects of sin. So we think, God, can't you come up with some pixie dust or some, some incantation, maybe hop around three times and spit to take care of my sin? That's the black spot from, from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, by the way. Can we just do certain things? We're much more broken than we think. The consequences of sin are much worse than what we imagine. And think of it this way. If you were to go to a heart doctor this week and the heart doctor says, I give you two to three weeks to live unless we do radical surgery. How many of you are going to go, no, you know what? I want to be comfortable. Do the least expensive, most comfortable thing, you know, and just let me die. Now, some of you might do that, but your loved ones wouldn't. They'd say, do what needs to be done. Well, God sent his son into a sin-sick, rotting world to do what needed to be done. And, and what Jesus did, it's big enough to take care of all of our sins, all of our failures. Because if God is real, if we really have fallen short, if the consequences of sin is hell, do you really want God to be fair with you? I don't think so. You want grace and mercy and forgiveness, and you want to know that that's what God has offered you, grace and mercy and forgiveness. So th- let me show you what the Bible says about that. First John five, 11 through 13. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Now I've bolded and underlined this part. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may what? Wait, wait, wait. You're not playing so that you may what? So that you may know what? So that you may know what? John, at the end of this letter, he's saying, I've written this stuff right before uh, verse 11. I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. The Mormon standing at my door years ago, I asked him, if you were to die tonight, you go to heaven. They said, you can't know. And I said, the scripture says, even the same scripture that you use says you can know. You don't know. I know. And I told him one, one minute after each of us dies, we're going to find out which of us was telling the truth. And I said to them, you're going to stand before God and you're going to go, oh, no, I had the opportunity to turn from my sins. I had the opportunity to know and I blew it. Well, if you have God's son, the scripture says you have life. So let's figure out how you get God's son. Let's figure out how you get this eternal life. And we're going to go back to the book of Romans. We've been talking about Paul. We've heard his testimony. We've heard him talk to King Agrippa. We've heard him talk to the people in Athens. Um, last week, we were looking at Romans chapter eight. This week, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter five. Now, remember that Romans wasn't written to Jews. It was written to people who had a different mindset. And so basically, if, if, if Romans is written to Gentiles, then it could be written to us. All right. Here's what he says You see at just the right time And I I, I want you to I want to challenge you To look how many times The Bible says At just the right time Um, For for example One of them is At just the right time Christ came into the world He was born At just the right time And, And I want you to talk about that And figure out what that means At just the right time I've got lots of things But I don't have time To say it today But just pay attention At just the right time Here's what he says At just the right time When we were still powerless Why were we powerless We talked about this last week What the law was powerless to do God did While we were still powerless Christ died for the what's that word ungodly. ungodly did you know if Paul was here today he would call you ungodly to your face and some of you go I'm not ungodly I I pay my taxes sometimes maybe after I file for an extension or two I'm, I'm not ungodly see I, I think a lot of us don't don't Consider ourselves ungodly because we don't compare ourselves to God. We compare ourselves to someone else. I'm not as bad as blank. You fill in the blank. Here's what ungodly means. Not like God. So I want you to say that. I want, I want you to say, I am not like God. Say it. So you admit it. See, we compare ourselves to our no, no good for nothing brother in law now. He's ungodly. Not me. Or we compare ourselves to that person who doesn't work, she's ungodly. I work. I go to my kids' games. I am not ungodly. Well, Paul is writing to people he's never seen, never met. He doesn't know what they do. He doesn't know what they did on spring break. And he calls them ungodly. How can he call strangers ungodly? Actually, it's very simple. Because religion has shown us we all fail. We can't, we can't even hold up to the eight commandments that all religions have. We've tried... To live by the rules, we fail. Somebody's rules. Every person who's ever lived is ungodly. And before Christ, you could not become like God. So we're all ungodly, and that's why we need a savior. So he's saying, you are ungodly people. Verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. I love his, his logic here. He's saying, every once in a while, someone will choose to die for another person that they feel has value. In our military, folks die, men and women die, because they believe our country and the people in our country have value. Every day, policemen, firemen, uh, emergency medical, all of the first responders put their lives on the line, sometimes for people they have never even met, because they believe people have value. Every once in a while, you'll have someone lay down their life for someone who has value. How often do you hear of someone laying down their life for someone they do not believe has value? Or what if what if we know they're unworthy? Would we die for them? See, none of us would find it real easy to die, but we would we would probably put our lives on the line if we thought the other person had value. But what if you knew they didn't? Brings us to one of the, the greatest verses Paul ever wrote. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, I, I believe I would demonstrate to my family, my love for them if they were in a dangerous situation. I would, I would die for my family. Um, I, I would like to think that I would give up my life for a stranger if, if the situation ever called, but I don't know. You don't know until you're in that situation. I don't think I would demonstrate my love for a homicidal maniac. I don't think I would demonstrate my love by giving my life to a terrorist. I guarantee you I wouldn't demonstrate love to someone who's trying to hurt my family. I'd demonstrate something else, but I would demonstrate love for my family. My love for my family is just one category of love, though. In this verse, Paul says God demonstrated a different category of love. Because while we were still liars, gossipers, adulterers, stealers, murderers, Christ died for us. That's a different type of love. So, so some people are going, okay, Paul, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm a good person. I love my wife, love my kids. First, you called me ungodly. Now you're saying I'm a sinner. Christ died for sinners? How dare you? And Paul says, I got news for you. We're all sinners. And we all deserve hell. We're going to hell because of our sin. But God demonstrates a new category of love by offering to send Jesus for us. Well, who's us? The human race. Anybody who's ever made a mistake. Everyone who ever sins. That's all of us. Was it fair to God that he had to give up his son for a bunch of unworthy people? Is that fair? Was it fair to Jesus? I don't think so. Was it comfortable for God to watch his son die for a bunch of sinners? No. Was it fair to Jesus to be beaten, whipped, mocked, nailed to a cross for a bunch of guilty people? Don't you ever tell me you think that's fair. Is it true? Yep. God is saying to you, do you really want fair? Do you want to pay for your sins? If you say yes, you do not understand the un in ungodly. You, don't, you do not understand the effects of sin. Christianity is the most fair and comfortable response that a perfect, sinless God can have to a sin-stained, rotting world. Jesus came and he did what needed to be done. And you want to talk about fair, let me just throw this out there. Christianity, is it fair? Everyone is welcome. Doesn't matter your skin color, doesn't matter what church you go to, doesn't matter how much money you make or don't make, everyone is welcome. Second, Everyone gets in the same way. It's not one system for this group of people and another system for this group of people. It's not you have to do this and this. One way, everybody gets in the same way. And third, everybody must choose Christ. And there's the problem. That's too narrow. When we came back from Haiti one of the years, I don't even remember which year it was. They've all kind of run together now. We came into um, Fort Lauderdale, and when you get off the plane, you have to go through customs, and this one particular year, we get to customs, so the whole plane is in front of us plus another plane, so there's several hundred people in line, and there's one customs agent. and I was like, you 've got to be kidding me." Now we found out later that there had been some kind of emergency, and they called all the other agents out, and there's one agent. This is too narrow. I refuse to go through that one gate to get back to the United States. You know what that guy would have said? I got another little room if you'd like to go to it. You either come through this gate or you don't come into the country. It's not narrow-minded to say there's one way. Is it narrow-minded to say to the, to, to the pilot, you probably should land that big stinking jet on a runway? Not out in the cattle field. That's too narrow-minded. Can, can you imagine? How long is that dude going to be a pilot? I feel restricted by landing on a runway. I'm going to do my own thing. Once or twice and he's gone. He's removed from the gene pool. It's too fired or dead. See, what is passing nowadays in a school? What, 70? sixty five okay it's lowered sixty five or seventy okay, when I was there, it was seventy, anything less than seventy so sixty five or seventy here's here's the deal. God did not say you got to get sixty five percent of the eight commandments right, or if you're you know if you believe in God, if you're a Jew or a Christian, you have to get sixty five percent of the ten commandments right, and you get to rest on Saturday. he didn't say that he said either. You never make a mistake. You keep all the commandments exactly like Jesus Christ did. Then you earn righteousness or you have to come through Jesus gate. Jesus actually said, I am the gate. He said, I am the way there's one way. See, God said, I'm not going to be fair with you. In fact, I'm going to be ridiculously unfair with you and I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you what you need. Mercy and grace and forgiveness. Is that fair? No. Does that make us feel comfortable? No. Is it true? Yes. Jesus Christ died for sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. You're ungodly. I'm ungodly. A reasonable response would say, yep, I need a savior. Anybody unlike God cannot spend eternity in heaven because that's a perfect place. So you need a savior to make you look like Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads for a moment? God has given us the test in advance because he wants us to pass the test. I had a professor at uh, at Baylor that was fired because we would take his lectures, we would read the books, and then he would give us tests on things that weren't on there. He loved failing people. They finally kicked him out of the university because because they said that's unfair. God has given us a test and you must choose before you die. When you die, God honors the choices you made before you die. So while you are living, you must say, I need Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. Michael showed us a picture of what that looks like. When he went under the water, he was identifying with Jesus' death. When he came out of the water, he's saying, I'm not, I'm not in charge anymore. I'm following the one, the only one who ever raised from the dead, never to die again, Jesus Christ. Some of you need to put your hope and faith in Christ today. And it, it, we just say it easily around here. We say, God, would you forgive me and would you lead me? Help me to be a better person through your power. Father, it's my prayer that we will share this message with a with a world, with a culture in the United States that's increasingly headed for hell. And Jesus, you told us that, that there's a lot of people on that path. And you said very few are those who find the way to life. Help us to be passionate about telling people how they can get in the one way to heaven through Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.